Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Hi everybody, welcome back to the podcast once again. Back on episode 22, Sean and I um, did an, uh, the episode title was called um, I'm Beside Myself and it was look, a look at the very early Godly and Cream work. Um, well, since then, we've we found lots of other rarities, some rare, some extremely rare, and we're going to share these with you today before maybe then going off on a tangent and talking about some other strawberry-based stuff. So we're just going to let this episode go go along as it evolves, really, aren't we, Sean? Isn't that always our modus operandi, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's not uh, obvious to the listeners. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. And, and once again, we're, we're deeply indebted to wonderful Dave Jarvis, who, as we'll explain a little bit later, has managed to get hold of, at, at great expense, we suspect, uh, some extremely mm. rare things. Um, and... I really like some of the things we're going to play today. So others I can I can take or leave, to be honest, uh, but they're all really, really interesting. Um, and uh, as we'll see, one singer in particular um, floats to the top of the pile, don't they, Paul? Well, very, very much so. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is a... Well, it's not really a single, uh, although it was on a 45 RPM record. It was a promotional item made specifically for... The birthday party, I'm looking at the flyer here, the birthday party of Tom McHugh, who was the club manager of Blinkers. Now, Blinkers um, is a really famous or was a really famous nightclub in Manchester. Um, it was so well liked by George Best, at least, who used to go there a lot, that he, that he opened up a boutique in the, in the building upstairs, I think. So we could go straight to the nightclub immediately afterwards. <laughs> and um, uh, I don't know whether, Sean, you've seen the, the Manchester Beat um, website, which is a great uh, source of information for stuff about 60s bands and Manchester in the 60s. Right. And lots of, lots of people there reminiscing about how they once got into Blinkers. It was really quite an exclusive club, um, you know, frequented by... Um, you know the the celebrities of the, of the day, footballers, rock stars, all sorts of people. And and who knows, um, maybe friend of the show Andy Peebles would have popped in there as well, Paul. Or do you think oh, well, that, that would have been well well before his time? Yeah, he was still slumming it down in Bishop Stortford then, wasn't he? He was <laughs> yeah. still at college then. Well, I mean, I know he sort of came into the orbit that, of those kind of folks in the early seventies, but but this this was earlier. Um, anyway, what we have here, the flyer that I'm looking at. Um, for Tom McHugh's birthday party on Wednesday, January the 12th, 1967. Right. Uh, and the uh, the guests got free canapes and punch cocktails and birthday cake at midnight. But what they also got was a free single recorded by Kevin and Lowell. Under uh, slight pseudonyms, aren't they, which are quite funny. Did you spot that, Paul? Oh, no, I didn't. What are the pseudonyms? Uh, have another look at the flyer. And you'll see, I don't know where you got this quote from, Paul, but it says a non-sale single recorded by Kevin Godray (laughs) and, get this, Lulu Creme. 
for that. <laughs> no, what, what that is, that, no, okay, that is a, a Google Translate version oh, of the right. Japanese um, <laughs> sleeve notes, or, or I don't think they're sleeve notes, I think they're text from a, a Japanese website. Oh, yeah, that, well, you mean that wonderful website that has all of the, the Godly and Cream rarities it's on it? It's brilliant. It's, I think it's called The Works of Godly and Cream. Yes. Uh, and, uh, oh, wow, so that's <laughs> a Japlish uh, kind of concoction. It's great, isn't it? Wow. I think Kevin Kevin Cordray and Lulu Krim oh, is, right. is it? That's a that's a good good name for the for the two Su- of them. Superb, and and they they printed just a few hundred, didn't they, Paul? Of this? Um, yeah. Well, I don't know how many were made, but everybody who turned up to this special birthday party got a, um, got a copy of the single, uh, and. That's why there's not many of them left because who knows what happened to them after a night all night partying at Blinkers. <laughs> but let's Probably. let's give it a bit of a listen, shall we? Oh yes, please. All right. So we're going to have a listen to the the A side. Hello, Blinkers. I love that kind of can't explain groove. It's terrific, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of almost like a proto northern soul thing going on, and Kev's vocal fits that perfectly. It really does. I think it's a cracking vocal, and and it's interesting you you say northern soul because um, structurally the song's a little bit like Shake a Tail Feather, if you know that song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, famous. Uh, from the Blues Brothers, the Ray Charles version, really, really fantastic, uh, especially in the breakdown, uh, which we'll hear in a minute. But uh, yeah, I think it's great, and I love it when when Kevin's letting rip like that with a soulful vocal. Yeah, it's great when he kind of pushes his voice out, doesn't he? And, yeah, and it gives that extra, like puffing his musical chest out. I love the lol as Dave to Kevin Sam. Uh, it kind of screaming. I assume it's lol, sort of screaming at the, at the top of his range in the background there. I, it's really terrific. Well, who's on this? I mean, who's well, playing on it? Where was it question. recorded? It, I mean, it doesn't that, sound like strawberry, does it? it? It can't be, can it? Because this party was on January 1967. That's pre-strawberry. It is, it's yeah. possibly even pre-Intercity. Uh, yeah, but it, it sounds like it's properly recorded. Not in... Uh, yeah, I think the technology that, that Pete would have had right at the start of his strawberry adventure i don't think would be capable of capturing a band like that 
Uh, it doesn't sound like Kev on the drums to me. No, it doesn't. The fills uh, are, are just aren't aren't godly esque. Um, no, that's and, right. And it's got a crunch to it. Um, the, the, the whole sound, particularly the drums, have got that kind of heavily compressed '60s sound. Um, yeah. That you know the American engineers w- were especially good at capturing. Maybe maybe down in London, because they certainly yeah. wouldn't. They wouldn't have had a studio in Manchester to record, would they? No, this is the this is the very interesting thing. I mean, I did I didn't realise this was so early. You know, I look back at January '67. I mean, that's uh, so that's a bit of a it's a real mystery, isn't it? It is. Um, it is, and I wonder if Kevin and Lowell were brought in as, if you like, session vocalists. Yes, and but how did they get the job in the first place? Mm. It's because uh, uh, they were virtual. Well, they were musical unknowns at that stage. So it's uh, were they were they already chums with um, oh what was his name G- Gowelski what was his name Paul oh Giorgio Gomelski yeah yes they well this again I think this predates any recording they did for him but he had been introduced to them through Graham by then yeah um, but I. I don't know. I mean, don't know how they got the commission. What what they get? What they got paid for it? If anything, maybe just a free ticket to the the birthday party. Yeah. Uh. Um, I'm gonna just have a quick look on YouTube, Paul, um, because okay. I have a I have a feeling at least one of the sides of this Blinker single uh, is is featured on YouTube, and it might be interesting to look at the label. Oh yeah, they they are both are on there. Yeah, do, here we go. Do look at the label, but isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, so what does it say? Well, it's in a it's in a kind of a a semi picture sleeve, one of those typical white seven inch uh, single sleeves, very very scrunched up, and you've mm. got the the Blinkers logo with the lady and gent riding on their horse with their top hats on, uh, mm. and then the label one C. This is the number. It sounds very uh, whispering, Bob Harris, doesn't it? One C one two one five, and. Uh, <laughs> It's it's got hello blinkers as side two, which is odd. Um, hello, hello blinkers, and it just says blinkers King Street West, Manchester three, and yeah. it sells it says for sale exclusively to members of Blinkers, and that's all that's on there. There are no credits whatsoever. Doesn't even say Godly and Cream. No, no. Right. Literally, mm-hmm. what I've just read out. You know, very yeah. very bizarre. So it, it strikes me as strange as well, Paul, that we have hello on side two and uh, good night on side one. Yeah, well, I think the DJ would have been, whoever he was, would have been intelligent enough to swap that and play. <laughs> <laughs> he would have sent everybody to um, at sleeve if he'd played the B-side. Uh, although, uh, let's hear the B-side. I think it's a lovely tune. Yeah, and particularly the start, Paul, um, which reminds me of, of at least a couple of... Uh, of other tunes from this this period of Godly and Cream. Okay. So anyway, yeah, this is the A side or B side, whichever way you look at it, uh, mm. called Good Night Blinkers. Got to remember 
Yeah, it's sweet, isn't it? Sweet. Such a such a pretty tune. I mean, they just threw away that melody, never reused it. Um, just shows what a wealth of tunes they had. I I, I agree, and um, the chorus is is ridiculously subtle as well, isn't it? Um, yeah. Good night, blinkers. The, the melody stays the same, and the chords change in minimal yeah. ways underneath. I think you go from a major to a major seventh, uh, and then another really subtle change. Um, perhaps too subtle for that kind of party record. Um, do you think this would have been the smoocher at the end? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, but even there you've got the high concept of, I mean, who else would have done an A and a B side, a hello and a goodbye record, a fast and a soft record for, mm-hmm. for a nightclub in one hit? It's a great package, isn't it? It is. And un- <laughs> unlike the A side, Paul, I think this sounds like a Godly and Cream demo. It sounds like them mm. playing. Yes, well, th- maybe this was recorded at, at Graham's house. Yeah, if he could fit the drum kit in his in his bedroom. I can't remember what he said about that, Paul. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's got a, a similar sound, hasn't it, to Best Seaside in the World? Mm. With that mm. kind of, um, you know, that lovely thick acoustic sound. Um, very, very sweet. But what about the lead vocal, Paul? What are, you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, who is it, you mean? Yeah. Ah, well, I can... You must think it's Lowell. I just, I'm just guessing here because I, I didn't really. I just assumed it was Kev without really listening properly. Well, Do you yeah, think it's Lowell? I, I, I'm, I'm slightly in two minds. Ninety-five wow. percent of me says this is Lowell uh, because okay. there's a certain kind of thinness, um, kind of Lowell. It's like a soft version of what Lowell would be doing on lead vocal with the with the debut album. Um, mm-hmm. But and here's the here's the kind of slightly confusing thing is that. There's slightly more vibrato there in the lead vocal than Lol would normally use. Lol's voice tends to, to produce kind of flatter notes, not flat mm-hmm. as in out of tune, but kind of yeah. n- not wavering. Whereas Kev has got that, you know, massive vibrato. So yeah. I wonder, in the same way to a song that we're coming on to uh, shortly, Paul, whether it is actually the, the both of them singing lead vocal at the same time. If we mm. If we listen again... Yeah, it kind of sounds like a hybrid between the thinness of Lowell's vocal and the vibrato of Kevin. Let's have a, let's have a listen. Most of the time you're dreaming, not believing what you feel. So come to your own conclusion, this illusion is for real. That to me sounds more like Kevin, where with the first verse, it sounded more like Lowell to me. See what I mean, but I I, I can't got, come down on one side or the other. No, it's it's got elements of both, which could be that it's a like a Lennon and McCartney dual lead, like they used to do on like "She Loves You" and "I Want to Hold Your Hand." You yeah. know, it's uh, yeah, and that gives gives it power. I was, it's very accurate. I can't really see any tales of phrases where one's hanging over and you know which would expose whether it was yes. two people which of course we can hear more clearly on on one of the, oh. the tunes coming soon yeah. so we go to the end of the song definitely kept there but what, kevin doesn't is... kevin doesn't doesn't sing believing he doesn't but his voice his voice is in there, even if it it's is. not just it's Absolutely, absolutely. It's very strange. What a cocktail. Yeah. Good night, please. 
<laughs> a poor ending, but uh, yeah, I think that's a cracking double-sided single, Paul. What a shame it wasn't, you know, released. Yeah, it, it, yeah, but great that we're we're able to bring it to people's attention now. I mean, uh, uh, I mean that's that's rare. But what the the um, the, the material we're going to move into now is is rarer still. Mm. I think. Um, let's have a look at well, these two come together. Two songs called one's called One and One Make Love, and the other's called Over and Above My Head. Now, these songs we knew about. Kevin actually mentions them in Space Cake. Mm. What he actually says is, he's, he, this is a passage where he's talking about the best seaside in the world. And then he says, we wrote four more songs while I was at college. Cowboys and Indians, Chaplin House, Over and Above My Head, and One and One Make Love. Mm. Now, at the time he came to put, put together Space Cake, he didn't have access to these last two um, but what he didn't know was that David Jarvis had tracked down an, an acetate <laughs> of these songs. Uh, they found their way to us um, and eventually to Kevin. Um, we, we've, we've been trying to do a bit of research on these songs and, and we've asked um, various people, including Kevin, who we, who we played this. I'm just going to read out his email reply to you, Sean. He was quite it, chuffed, wasn't he? It was. He, he says, hi, Sean. Wow. Bit of history here. There were two songs recorded around this time, 1967. The other was called Over and Above My Head. So what Kevin has heard here is One and One Make Love. He says the vocal on One and One is a bit painful and the arrangement full on British session musos. <laughs> and it's a real curio, but not a bad song, though. I think the original demo was way better, uh. which is... Enticing, although we nobody has the original demo, but trust we do Kevin, have. yes, to be, to be tantalizing. Yeah, well, I don't think he has it either, otherwise, no. he would have put it on Space Cake. It'll be, but, it'll but, be but, in someone's garage, won't it, Paul? Uh, possibly, yeah. Um, but anyway, this is let, let's have a listen to um, one on one make love, absolutely, and, and listen out for what I think is another of those the weird hybrid joint lead vocal between Lol and Kevin. I love that the cheesy link between boy and girl get together, produce baby, likened to doing your maths homework. Yeah, I think that's a great extended <laughs> metaphor which goes yeah. all the way through the song. I mean, it's a bit groovy, isn't it? it you can it almost is, yeah. expect uh, Austin Powers to come sashaying into the the frame and. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, and that's, but, but, but that's one of the reasons I, I quite like it, Paul. I love that the the backing track's delicious. Actually, it's a little bit um, Bacharach David. You know, oh, with, the, yeah. with those lovely harmonised kind of horn parts. Yeah. Um, 
and um, and a, a, a lovely sort of very quickly strummed acoustic guitar as well. It's nice. Yeah. And the flutes. So again, this is a big. This is a big production. Yeah, so it's very again, very grown up production. Um, yeah. Sort of adult orientated pop. Where and how was this recorded? Once again, <laughs> we we don't know. Well, well, we Kevin hints at it um, in that it was a, a session with with session players to enhance the sound. But if it was in 1967, again, it couldn't have been in Manchester. It must have been down in London, yes. I imagine. And, you know, Trident or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, and maybe this was a Gomelsky-funded uh, project that just didn't get as much publicity as the the, the later Frabjoy and Runcible Spoon-based things. Sure. Who knows? And uh, do we know um, anything about the writing credits either, Paul? Is it? it do you think it's a... A Kevin and Lowell thing is, Gra- oh, oh, yeah. is Graham in- is Graham involved? No, I don't think so. It has to be because going back to his um, space cake quote, he mentions the songs as being written by him and Lowell. So this is a, I mean, that alone makes it, we know it's a, it's a Kevin Lowell song. Both this and the one we're going to play in a minute, over and above my head. Um, n- there's no information for any of these on the PRS database. They never. They never troubled the the PRS, but yeah. So they officially, yeah, officially don't exist. Not really. Don't mm-hmm. think anybody's ever made any money out of them. But uh, again, great melody. Just um, I agree, and I, I presume because they're off acetate, Paul, they wouldn't mm. necessarily have ever seen the light of day on vinyl. Perhaps they, no, it was it was purely a, you know a studio creation that never left the, the building. Yeah, it was never officially released, yeah. which, is, which is a shame. And although I mean, you've actually done some great work on this yourself, haven't you? You've made, you've got rid of a lot of the surface noise that is on Dave's acetate, and it does sound better. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's difficult, you know, because some acetates are notoriously, but they're like, they're like overused frisbees, um, yeah. and uh, they don't last as, as long as, as proper vinyl records. Um, so very often there's, there's more actual surface noise than, than music. And if you get rid of the surface noise, you can be left with, with bugger all, really. Um, yeah. So I've done, I've done my best to, to clean these up. a great job i mean it sounds lovely it would be lovely to hear it even nearer to the source but this yeah. is probably as good as we're ever going to get but it's i mean it's a bit of a thrill to have it at all really oh definitely and uh, yeah so grateful for dave and did you want to have a look at over and above my head next paul yeah just before we leave this one um there's a bit you talk about the hybrid kevin lowell singing together mm. there's a there's a part i think the end of the sort of verse bit and the very first line of the middle eight if we can play that because I think there you can see it you can hear Kevin singing the end of the verse and Lowell sings the first line of the middle I think yes on his I, own. I know exactly the bit you talk about right let's find it yeah that sounds like Lowell doing his Donna voice for one line yeah. and then Kevin kind of then, doing a refrain yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But maybe maybe they're singing together on large portions of the song. It's very hard to pick apart that. 
Yes, there are some harmonies, and it sounds like the two of them there are doing the harmonies, but a lot of the lines are unison, and, and that also sounds like the two of them together. Yes, yeah, so that, it sounds sense. like there are three or four vocal parts on it. So, yeah. you know, perhaps they, um, they stood around the same microphone twice. If they got a chance to double track, but yeah. it sounds like they did. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Now, interesting. I hope everyone else is finding this as interesting as we are. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, if not, other podcasts are available. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, Over and Above My Head it is actually the one that I was referring to kind of Burt Bacharachy sort of brass and chords. Uh, definitely this one, Bacharach. I don't know whether you're familiar with um, the stuff that he and Hal wrote for a guy called Lou Johnson. It's quite obscure, but some van- uh, in fact, Lou Johnson did the original version of There's Always Something There to Remind Me. Okay. Which- I might have heard that. Yeah, any other songs right. that I'd know? Well, the the song that this particularly reminds me of, more in its feel, uh, and we'll dig it out later on, is called The Last One to Be Loved, which is this kind of psychological, tormented soul song, which, oh. um, without wanting to, to, to strain it too much, this sounds a little bit like it. I, I, some of the early parts of this song, I, I think this is great, a great song. All of the friends I knew Someone they could love right from the start, but I was forever alone and blue. You may not understand, girl, these words that I say. But they're only second-hand, girl They're true anyway They say at the top of the world We know it's marine This feeling we feel But it's over and above my head It's over and above my Kev's vocal is a little bit strained, which is unusual, and and we've discussed maybe this was recorded at the same session as One and One Make Love, and they kind of ran out of time. Yeah, it sounds like it's a bit rushed, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I, I'm but, with you, but I I think they've got a similar feel, haven't they? They have, yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I really like this. It's lovely, it's isn't, good, it? isn't it? Yeah, it's great, and it makes one wish that 10CC at their peak had done something like this. They could have done a absolutely killer soul, a deep soul song. I mean, they had the chops, and with Kevin, they had the voice. Yeah, and they never really, they never did anything like this, did they? No. I mean, Wed- Wedding Bells is is a kind of pastiche of a soul song, but. You know, they didn't do anything with as none of the pro- with none of the production values that, that this has. I, I just love the yeah. You know, Kevin's almost kind of looking down his nose at the at the faceless session guys on this stuff, isn't he? But yeah, but they do a fabulous job. I mean, cracking that, that horn section. Yeah, 
I know. It's beautiful. Thick and, and kind of, you know the kind of things you get on Guess I'm Dumb by Glenn Campbell, yeah. Paul. You know exactly that sort of that, the rich textures where you almost can't identify the individual instruments. It's that kind of thing. I couldn't let go even if I wanted to. And you must know, baby, that was all me. Very, I mean, again, it's not thrown together. This must have been pl- pre-planned, the arrangement, clearly, because it, everything's in its place. So somebody, and presumably not Kevin Lowell, must have done the pre-production and, and, and done the arrangement, yeah. having heard the er- earlier demos or something. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and obviously they spotted Kevin as, as you know, a talented singer, yeah, uh, and uh, he, he puts in a lovely performance. I'm kind of with you that he he sounds slightly ragged, slightly rushed, and maybe dare I say it, slightly underprepared, yeah. uh, as if it had even been just thrown at him, and that he, he hadn't properly got his tongue around the song. That's not me sort of denigrating his his vocal. It's just uh, it's yeah. not up to the standards that he would he would hit uh, time and time again. But let's have a little listen to some more of it, Paul. It's over and above my- Impressive stuff, isn't it? It really is. And and they're how old? Um, about 20? Um, yeah, Early 20, 20s, 20, maybe? Well, Lol is only 20. Kevin is, I think, either 21 or 22, depending on when this is recorded. So they really are very young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a label of a, an acetate or a demo... Uh, which appears in, I think it appears in Space Cake. I actually couldn't find it again, but I had previously made a note and it had a group of songs in one place, which I'll read them out. And the the songs are Today, Fly Away, Take Me Back, I'm Beside Myself, Chaplin House, Cowboys and Indians, One and One Make Love and Over and Above My Head. Right. So we've, we've put all the pieces, we actually have at least versions of all of these songs now. Yes, and, 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 I, and I suppose um, it might be useful for me to go back to episode 22, Paul, as well, and so that we get a sense of completeness that we've got all of those early demos in the bag. Yeah, and when you look at those songs, I mean, they obviously a lot. some of those songs came out, a couple came out on the Hot Legs album, but it was all, you know... Diffused. It wasn't. It didn't mm. come out in one hit. But that is a that is a cracking canon of songs. And if that had come out with the right kind of production, mm-hmm. um, in a, in the right or at the right time, I think it could have made a real impact. Yeah, imagine uh, in the yeah, mid sixties. Yeah, exactly. Imagine a kind of a Righteous Brothers production on that, Paul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. But anyway. Yeah. So moving onwards and upwards. What what have you got next for us, Paul? 
Okay, uh, next we've got something, well, equally as rare. Uh, um, at least we'd heard of these tracks through Space Cake and so on. But now we've got two more coming off the Dave Jarvis... Uh, Production line. <laughs> assembly line. So, again, thank you so much, Dave. I want I Dave, want Dave's procurement budget. That's what I want. Uh, who knows? Who knows <laughs> what he had to do with his soul Bless to him. get these. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got... We think they're tied together because they... Yes, they are tied together. They came on different sides of the same acetate. We've got Virgin Soldiers backed with Hot Sun. Mm. Uh, now, Virgin Soldiers is a complete unknown, other than to say it must be tied in with the film. There was a... Leslie Thomas wrote a book yes. called Virgin Soldiers, very famous at the time, published in 1966. That was made into a 1968 film with Hal Bennett and also containing two seconds worth of David Bowie's uh, first screen appearance, which you can find <laughs> on YouTube. That's quite funny, where he's being shoved across the bar. Yes. But this must be a tie-in, and um, partly because I had a look at the lyrics, or tried to decipher the lyrics of this song, and it mentions Private Lantry, who is actually a character in the film. So this must be a tie-in. A man isn't born knowing how to make war or how to make love, but there's a first time for everything. The Virgin Soldiers. Yeah, um, I wonder but, if they were they were trying to get something placed in the movie, or, then, or they were commissioned to do it. Yes, how I mean, how would they have known about the the character in the movie? If, yeah, I they mean, must have had, they must have had a tip off from the producers. Yeah, but. Um, the other person we've been in contact about this is Harvey, of course, Harvey Lisberg. Um, and um, we're waiting for him to come back with some more information. He he couldn't actually remember the A-side, Virgin Soldiers, which I thought maybe it was him that had, that had got the guys this, this job, but mm. uh, we're, we're not sure. Um, when we come on to the B-side, we'll, we'll hear what Harvey said about that. But, um, yeah, so this is a... A complete unknown. Um, we'll hear the track, obviously, in a minute. I was The question for you, Sean, do you think this is a Kevin Lowell song? Because for the first time, I'm not sure that, that they wrote this. Yeah, I, I know exactly where you come from. We know that the, the track Hot Sun comes out of the 10cc stable. We'll give you more details yeah. in a minute. But, yeah, this one, it doesn't sound like Kevin Godley's lyrics because, for me, it, it's just... A way more earnest than than we we would expect from from Kevin. Um, I, I, he didn't tend to go down the sort of the platitudes of of, of peace, love, and understanding uh, particularly. And I and I feel that there are probably too many lyric cliches in here, Paul, for it to be Kevin. That's that, that's all I can say, really. Mm-hmm. How, what are your thoughts? I hadn't really considered the lyrics, although that's a good point. I just felt the melody, strong as it is, and I think it's terrific. I don't know why. I mean, it could... Ah, or could it be... Could Graham be involved here? Because didn't Dave's note... Here we go. Right, this is... I'm now... uh, This is something that Dave wrote to somebody, presumably us at one stage. Okay. Uh, he says the ah the acetate label is credited to Graham, ah. and the B side Hot Sun is also credited to Graham. Now that may or may not be 
Uh, who knows? But maybe let, let's factor that right. in. I knew, Have about, a listen. I, knew, I knew about Hot Sun being a Graham song, which I alluded Let, to. I wonder if it has a, a, a Jaime input as well. But again, ah. again, the, the Jaime's poetry was was a lot more. I don't know, observant and, and original. I think. Yeah, let's have another yeah. listen with that with those lenses on uh, and see whether it sounds like Graham uh, as well as Kevin and Long. Sure, sure. Let's give it a listen. Virgin Soldiers. I'm not a big fan of the of this tune, Paul. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I find it very <laughs> kind of clunky, really. Um, the most interesting thing about it for me is is that I I think it's a strawberry recording. Well, yeah, I I agree with that uh, because there's on this there's there's no um, session musicians. It could it's just a band, isn't it? Yes, and and according to Dave, it's certainly the other side, Hot Sun. Is just the three of them, Lowell, Kevin, and Graham, uh, you know, with their usual uh, kind of music, yeah. musical roles, and there's no reason for suspecting that this was any different. Yes, and it's it's 1968. Well, we think it is due to the time of the film. So even the, the extra year on the last songs we heard means that it, it could have been a it could have been a strawberry production. Yeah. And the, the the drum sound is, sounds similar to what they were doing right up into uh, into early ten CC. That lovely kind of dry, tight sound, yeah. and and at last we hear Kevin's very distinctive fills and everything. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sean, because there's actually the same fill in this song as appears in "I'm Mandy Flying." <laughs> what is the, the, you mean the fill? The fill, three on the snare and three on the tom. I'm sure we can do a compare and contrast here. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's the same fill, isn't it? Yeah. Kevin doesn't sound like he's singing that that that, that cranky, kind of slightly off-key chord, particularly confidently. Um, but it's just one of my quibbles with it. Let's go a bit further into the song. Will you die in battle? 
nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's got a little bit of kind of military snare coming in there. Absolutely, is, um, yeah, which is an obvious an, an obvious yeah. little um, trick for for this kind of thematic thing. But do you, do you hear where I'm coming from on the lyrics, Paul? It's just it's not up to Kevin's usual standard, is it? And and it, I think it's below Graham's usual standard too. Mm, yeah, uh, yes, possibly. It, um, not not sure. Uh, I, I hope because I personally really like it, particularly mm. particularly the chorus hook. I'm hoping that you know one of our guys did have a hand in writing it. Yeah. But I, I I don't know for sure. Sure, but no, I I, I feel your passion for this one, Paul. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not quite with you. I I don't dislike it, and I don't dislike Hot Sun either. But it, it's for me, it's the the wow factor at, at what Kevin attempts vocally on it that really impresses me i I know this is incredible now this one harvey didn't straight away as soon as i said the title he started singing the song which was quite impressive because this is in an unreleased track um that's that's over 50 years old yeah that's right so it must have made a strong impression on him um hot sun of course, is very similar from a title point of view to the later Hot Sun Rock, mm. which was the B-side of Donna, I think, an instrumental. Is that right? Definitely B-side of one of those tracks from the debut yeah. album. And I was thinking this earlier on, you know, was it, was it Donna or was that, was that 4% of something? B-side of Donna? Nah. Oh, no, God, yeah, that... someone, there'll, be, there'll be hundreds of people hitting their radio at this point, Paul. Yeah, some of it, somebody will tell us amongst the, yes. amongst the hardcore, but can't remember, but it was certainly an early B-side. They may be connected, but I, this is a... Yeah, that, the jury's out for me on that one, Paul, yeah, and, I, and I'd love sure. it if someone can, can point out what, you know, what we're not hearing. Uh, if there's anything we're missing here. But yeah, Hot Sun, we think uh, composed solely by Graham and, and definitely uh, played by, by Graham, Kevin and Lowell. Do you think it's composed by... Where, where do you think it's, com- um, uh, it's composed Dave, by Graham? Dave sent through some artwork for it, Paul. Oh, OK. Um, which I can share with you. Can you see that? Oh, yes, great. So, yeah, so... Um, David's got the lyric sheet that's been typed out on, oh, on Graham's wow. typewriter. Okay. Hot sun shining there forever. Hot sun, we live a tick of time. Hot sun, never ending ages. Hot sun, we play a moment's mime. That's got to be high me, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then Dave's got a, a lovely front cover with, with an extremely young Graham wearing a sort of Aaron knitted jumper. <laughs> we love you, Graham. And... Uh, <laughs> It says Kevin Godley lead vocals and drums, Lol guitars backing vocals, and it reminds me you could really hear Lol on that previous tune, couldn't you? Singing, yes. you know, incredibly singing high. the high part, yeah. yeah. And then Graham, it's got uh, guitars and backing vocals. I presume right. he's playing bass on both of yes. these. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a real curio. Hot sun. <laughs> We play. 
It's a real groover, isn't it? It is. It's got that... Um, it's, it sounds like deep purple or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know exactly what you mean. You know, it, steeped in blues, really, but heading into progressive territory. Yeah, what was I it, Black Knight? Was that yeah, one of their big like, hits, Black Knight? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's pretty heavy, Um but the, the the thing here is is Kevin's vocal, wow. isn't it? And, yeah. and as as we we were talking about this earlier, I've done some digging into just how high that line <laughs> is, and um, it's a D five in full voice. He reaches da, 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 that that top note. Yeah. Um, I can't even get uh, there in falsetto now. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's a, a kind of an octave higher than than I have in my full voice it's incredibly high you can really you can hear him straining can't you but it, 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 he's not squeaky it's really no, powerful he gets there in his full voice momentarily and yeah. it's uh, it's very it's a very exciting vocal performance i I'm, i did some comparison amongst you know against some other great singers and there's, there's a great video on youtube actually um which is uh, freddie mercury's highest notes in full voice in mm. the studio and uh, the D5, this, this note that Kevin reaches here, um, is the same as the climactic note on the show must go on by Queen, mm. which is incredibly high. Famously so maybe we, high, yeah, yeah. We can compare and contrast. It's a fantastic vocal performance. This yeah. uh, it really lifts. What? Well, it's a, it's a quite a. I don't know. Not a basic song. It's a sort of primitive song, but deliberately so. But the yeah, vocal and, and, really like lifts the, it. instrumentally, it, uh, there's, there's very little kind of going on harmonically, isn't there? The the, mm. the bass and, and and main guitar are, are mainly playing in unison, playing the same notes, mm. and mm. you've you've got a higher harmony played on another guitar. There's, there's very little going on, uh, but it really moves. Kevin obviously drives the tempo, and it, it, it does change in tempo quite a bit, doesn't it, Paul? It goes yeah, into that, that, into that slower transition into the middle eight. Yes, yes. Um, but it's, it's also got some fairly clunky lyrics as well I, I i really dislike the i hurry me i worry me rhyme right uh just sounds just a bit awkward um but that's just a personal thing but i i, I definitely thumb thumbs up for this one yeah and quite a contrast to virgin soldiers so i mean it <laughs> yeah. sounds like you much prefer this to the a side i think i do i think i do um uh-huh. and i I, I prefer it to Hot Sun Rock as well, uh, which, which always struck struck me as a fairly anonymous instrumental, actually. Yeah, exactly. And, that uh, never grabbed me. Yeah. And and I wish we'd we'd had another chat with Liam Newton actually, because I think he said on an email that he can hear um, melodic similarities between Hot Sun and Hot Sun Rock. I don't get it, Liam. If you can. Well, there's a bit where it builds up. Uh, that, that, again, that sounds like a lull thing, you know, when he. <clears throat> Does those ascending yeah. passages? Da, da, da. There's a bit that exists in both songs, but it's a bit tenuous. I'm not mm. sure. But then, why? 
it just seems very unlikely there'd be like two songs with Hot Sun in the title within the yeah. space of 12 months or so. Maybe they just really liked the the, the title. Let's see if we yeah. can find that bit. And uh, in the meantime, Liam, just uh, drop us a postcard. <laughs> Stuff. And the, the tempo's picked up again, hasn't it, now, for the, yeah, the kind of yeah. the reprisal verse and chorus at the end. Yeah, some really thick backing vocal sounds there. Like yes. um, maybe the three of them have gone in and double-tracked themselves. It's a really nice thick sound. Yeah, I noticed that. That comes in like halfway through the first verse or something, mm. and it really, singing the, the title, Hot Sun, it really kind of adds, yeah, some real... A few stepping stones there on the way to kind of intensity productions, isn't it? No, definitely, definitely. And we'll come to one, one tune in particular a bit later, folks, that is totally that kind of missing link, the, the Neanderthal man, uh, for want of a, <laughs> of, 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 a, of a better kind of analogy, into uh, the, the proper 10cc sound. I'm desperate for a cup of tea, Paul. Can, yeah. we, can we take five? Yeah, in fact, I can probably have a cup of coffee now and the feeling's... Um, far enough away so yeah, let's do that don't let it dribble down your chin you know what it's like <laughs> and you end up you know burning your face without knowing it <laughs> Where do you want to take us next? Uh, should we do Umboppo? Yeah. Was the remake the last track on the CD, Paul? There ain't no Umboppo. Um, no. The quick one yeah. is called There Ain't No Umboppo. The, cr- the quick, short one yeah. was the first one. Uh, that was Crazy Elephant. I only know this because I looked at it this morning. And then it was redone in a slower version, mm. which I think is much better. Yeah, me too. Under under Doctor Father, and yes. that was nineteen seventy. Um, yeah, contemporary with Neanderthal Man. They, they couldn't yes. be. They couldn't be more different, though, could they? Uh, from from their hit. No, but, and I, I think this is a lost hit. And um, yeah, it, it, it's I, a I, lovely, I, lush sound, isn't it? I think it's a significant song. I mean, it may, maybe it was a near hit, not a total hit, but... Uh, if you can hear the pattering of tiny feet, that's Doddy. I can. Um, on oh, the new man cave floor. Um, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're slightly right. less soundproofed than we used to be. We're, we're beautiful now, Paul, but we're not as soundproofed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so let's hear the very scratchy original version of Mbopo. Just a snatch of it. What we can hear beneath the kind of surface noise on the on the acetate or the or the the single, um, and then we'll we'll give you a a little burst of the remake, uh, which, as Paul says, is a, a quite a hell of a lot more lush.
Yeah. Um, it's got a lovely kind of languid groove, hasn't it, the second version? Yeah, that's right. The, so the first version was, um, I was looking at the label this, this morning and it's down as a super gay production in that, although it's a Godly and Cream song, uh, it was recorded for Kaznet's Cats for one of their brand names, Crazy Elephant, mm. um, who'd actually had a, a top oh, well, number 12 hit, um, obviously unrelated set of musicians, but going under the same banner. They'd had a number 12 hit a mm. couple of months before in the UK and the US, um, and they tried with a Kevin Lowell song here, um, and then remade it um, a few months later, called just Ombopo uh, under the name of Dr. Father. Mm. Which, um, which is by far the superior version, I think. Yeah, but they both got very redeeming features. Uh, and okay. one, one thing that really came across with headphones on from the first version there, Paul, is is the kind of atmospheric sound. Um, and I, I particularly like the the snare drum, uh, which is okay. a, a, is absolutely drenched in reverb. So you get this kind of almost sort of Phil Spector. Um, effect of uh, okay. we'll just have a listen to it. Have yeah, a listen yeah, again yeah. And, and listen out for those that they happen once every sort of every four bars I think you get this huge okay. great cavernous sound Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a symbol or something, isn't it? Like a yeah. snare and a symbol. <clears throat> maybe it's something metal. Though. It's, it's a, yeah, maybe not even a conventional mm. musical instrument or something. Yeah, um, so I think they were really going for it even there in the, in the 69 version uh, for yeah. a big production number. But I think they achieved something a lot more subtle uh, w- with the remake. Um, it, more akin to Waterfall, I suppose. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's... Um, the song itself is interesting, isn't it? As mm. Kevin told us, it's only got two chords and he's pretty much right. It's built around that two chord sequence and it's in an unusual tuning, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I've never tried to play this song, but it's very reminiscent of Something in the Air by Thunderclap Newman. Yes. Which I think is where the guitar is tuned to like a an E chord. So when you play when you play all the strings open, you get an E chord, and then when you play an E chord shape on mm. top of that, you get like this kind of weird suspension, mm. like an F sharp over E or something. Um, and it sounds to me that that's that that's what's happening there, but I, I don't know that for sure. But that that's where it the the kind of similarity with uh-huh. that and the thunderclap. Yeah, how song interesting. Comes in. I think the twelve-string guitar gives it a, a slightly discordant quality as well, which, yeah, I, which right. I really like. Yeah. Let, let's go a bit deeper into the long-lost world of, 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 I just, of darkest I do like the, Borneo. I do like the way he parks his car at the, 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 the edge of the Forest of Borneo. It's almost like there's a kind of one of those brown signs saying Forest of Borneo car park and picnic tables. You know, you get yeah. that impression. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same car he he um, he, he parked in hotel. Yeah, ah, so well, some somebody on YouTube was saying that it reminded them of Hotel. Well, certainly um, li- lyrically, it's, it's yeah, kind of yeah. Uh, it, it's almost like the journey to the hotel. This isn't it? You know, oh, sort of yeah. fighting through the undergrowth and finding yeah. that this this clearing 
in, in mm. the rainforest. That counter melody, that's the, I can't decide whether it's played on guitar or electric piano or acoustic right. piano. Ding, 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 yeah, ding. Yeah. That's kind of going against the strange chord as well and, and adding yeah. to that kind of um, discordant but very rich sound. Yeah, it's quite a big production. It's a real shame we can't hear this in real good quality. Yeah, I think or we, in stereo. We, we, yeah, right. We'd be able to hear so much more... I, if we could hear it at source, I wonder where, if anywhere, the source recording is. Maybe mm. it no longer exists. But, yeah, it um, could, could could be one of the skipped ones. Could be, couldn't it? Mm. Um, the lyrics in this song are very mysterious, and and it real it really paints a picture, doesn't it? Um, it does. I'm just going to quote a little bit. Aroused by the sight and the sound and the smell of freedom, he rose to explore the wealth of his newfound kingdom. The trees were getting taller and he was getting smaller and he never reached the water before the rain. A voice called out to guide him and the jungle closed behind him and he was never seen again. It, it, you get that, that feeling that he's completely um, just enveloped by the, his fate, you know, is sealed by the jungle itself. It's great, isn't it? It is, it's really good. And, and what about the kind of the, the, the main chorus if you like for want of a better word Paul there ain't no umbopo is this some what did Kevin tell us is it some imaginary river or something I think they were looking for they wanted to build a song around a real place I think but they couldn't find a real place that scanned as well as the nonsense word they mm-hmm. came up with but I think it simply means there is no paradise doesn't it umbopo is a, is a symbol for what you're looking for, the Holy Grail, paradise, and and there isn't any that because that's what that happens to the the protagonist here. Yeah, the crock of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, he gets kind of swallowed up in it. Yeah, in, it's uh, yeah, quite quite a song really. I mean, it's a little repetitive, isn't it? It is, so but wa- it's very repetitive and 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 it's very long. It's over five minutes. Uh, well, again, I only discovered this this morning, but it, 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 an edited version of this single was released in the US on Capitol, about three and a half minutes, uh-huh. and, and, and the full version in Europe and the UK. But the, that edited version doesn't have the payoff. It doesn't tell you what happens to the guy at the end, so that kind of doesn't work either. So, no, should we ever listen to that ending? Yes.
fantastic. It's quite, um, I don't know, it sucks you in, doesn't it, that story? It's very, very visual. Um, mm. And I, I really like those overlapping vocals uh, in the end section, Paul, uh, where they, they all kind of wind, mm. a, wind around each other in counterpoint, don't they? Very often out of tune with each other in, in a, a really discordant harmony. Yeah. Um, but it adds to the hauntingness, I think. I mean, that outro is very Brian Wilson, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like the end of God Only Knows, really. Or, or Till I Die. Till or I Die, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and although many times, of course, we've talked about the influence the Beach Boys have had on 10CC, they very rarely did a kind of complex vocal round like that at the end of a song. Um, that's a real... That's uh, unusual in the canon, I think, but you can really see the influence there. Yeah, definitely, um, and, and especially in the the kind of counterpoint vocals that um, that they did so often. Um, Heroes and villains, the end of Surf's Up, Till I Die, brilliant example you threw in there. Uh, yeah, uh, great, great tune, Paul. And here's the thing I've just dis- I've just heard for the first time: what's making that sustained string-like noise? We first hear it when it goes quiet. What on the lyric? Um, uh, the trees were getting taller, and he was getting smaller. Let's, could have, an, it let's be, have another listen. What, what, what are you thinking? You think you might it be, be a the gizmo? G word? Could it? <laughs> well, they were definitely experimenting with their drill and the and the rubber, weren't they? That's right. I mean, Kevin said it was on the Hot Legs album, but we never found it on the Hot Legs album, no, did we? No. So let's just have a listen to oh, that. Oh, Paul, you've bit. made my day. <laughs> I mean, there is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Paul, you, you, you little tease. <laughs> it could be an organ, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing more Farfisa organ, to be honest. Okay. Um, um, but it's got that kind of stylophony. It's uh, got that brit- brittle sound of the gizmo, isn't it? Yeah, it's not unlike the tone generator sound that they used on the Underthorn Man. Yeah, but they wouldn't be able to su- get a sustained tone like that with that, would they? Or maybe they would. I don't well, know. they did on the Underthorn Man. Yeah, but in the it's, middle that's section a, there. But, but that's a much harsher sound, isn't it? This yeah. is a kind of it, much closer to a proper string sound. Um, I mean, it could be, it could also be real strings, but I don't think so. And it would only, it's only that tiny part they would have yeah, got. Yeah, possibly too thin to be real strings. I think yeah, you're. Right. I think you might be onto something there, Paul. Wow. Well, so. well spotted you. <laughs> well, that's yeah. it's got me all of all of a quiver. All of a quiver, yeah. Yeah. Like. <laughs> okay, so are we going to go from the sublime to something less sublime? Yeah, that's fine. You you carry on now with your. Um, yeah, I, I, we've reached the end of the, the Godly and Cream. We're, by the way, folks, we only put Ombopo there because we, for some reason, completely failed to mention it on our episode 22. So we've 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 yes. corrected that mistake now. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, mea culpa, or whatever mm. the whatever the the plural is of mea culpa. Someone can tell mm-hmm. us. I'm revisiting the Strawberry Bubblegum CD, Paul, which I think is mm-hmm. a great collection. But oh, yeah. as a whole, is a bit kind of tiresome to listen to, isn't it? With there's a lot of silly stuff, there's quite a lot of bland <laughs> stuff. But there yeah, are yeah. there are some pleasures on there, um, apart from you know some of the ones that we've touched on already. 
Um, I wonder if you can shed some light on this, a song that purports to be by Fighter Squadron, um, which, as we know, is, is a Super K uh, pseudonym for uh, the 10CC boys, again with, with a Kevin lead vocal. And that's a song called When He Comes, which did actually get released in America in 1971. Um, and there's also um, a song called Roll On, um, with with a very distinctive Eric vocal, uh, which is straight out of his um, Hot Legs bluesy sort of uh, playbook. Uh, and then there's a couple of kind of Graham sung tunes in Warm Me and O Solomon. And I uh, just wanted to give you a little burst of, of those four tunes, okay. folks. And then, Paul, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those. Mm-hmm. Again, very un-Kevin. It's, it's almost like gospel rock, isn't it? Yeah, this one actually was one that really jumped out at me when I first heard that collection, the Strawberry Bubblegum collection. Mm. I, um, I really uh, was one of those, one of the most immediate ones for me. Yeah, and it's a cracking um, vocal from Kevin, isn't it? It is. Now, is this a Graham song? Uh, I don't know. According to our notes, uh, yes. Graham co-wrote it with the with the t- the two Supercade chaps. Ah, yeah. Okay, that would make sense. So that's one of the songs he came back to Strawberry with. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, again, Kevin's voice can do can, can do a number of things, and it can do gospel very convincingly. Yeah, it could have been in in the musical Hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and, and it's got it's got that lovely kind of late 60s uh, feel, you know, the kind of thing that, I don't know, Joe Cocker might have done. Yeah, exactly. He's absolutely the equal of Joe Cocker, sort Mm. of vocally. Mm. I mean, it's the sort of thing, later on, you'd expect that to be complete, well, piss take, wouldn't you? But Mm -hmm. it it sounds sincere enough, you know, waiting for the coming of the Lord. I mean, you can almost, you can almost... Believe what they're singing there, um, or, or believe that they believe what they're singing there. Let's yes, put it that it, way. even though it doesn't really fit with our our picture of Kevin. Um, yeah. In stark contrast to contrast to that one is something released under the the, the moniker of Doctor Father uh, right. as as a B side, released in in the UK in August 1970. Interestingly, produced by Lol. Um, and written by godly Stuart Cream. And uh, as we'll hear in a second, it could well have been an outtake from from the Hot Legs album. And it's it's sung um, unmistakably by Eric, very much paying homage to his bluesy roots, um, you know, his bluesy passions, um, Mm. with that same sort of affected voice where he where he sang give me a bottle <laughs> on, on, the, on the original album have a listen it to this like his, yeah. sounds like his teeth haven't quite yeah exactly but, and uh, same problem that you've had today paul really yeah down at the dentist yeah, yeah. Exactly. all right so this is roll on good drum roll there 
Yeah. It's a convincing blues vocal, though, I'll give him that. And I like the production on this. I like that huge stair sound with the, you know, the, the customary strawberry uh, plate reverb. And there's some nice kind of delay effect on the guitar as well. It's good. Yeah, just just I mean, not uh, my cup of tea. Exactly. Not really our wheelhouse, this, is it? Um, this was the B-side of Umbopo, wasn't it, I should think? Because Dr. Father was only a one-off um, yes. name, I think. So... I wrote some notes here. I mean, this isn't a 12-bar blues. It's got quite an unusual structure. Okay. It's got... A, it's a 22-bar blues. Right. Which goes around twice, and then eventually, it go, when it starts talking about roll-on and stuff, then it's back in your standard 12-bar. So, mm. uh, Eric, presumably, must have structured this in quite a distinctive way, and they obviously knew the song... It, it sounds like not very much is going on, but it, it's quite a lot of thought gone into the arrangement of this song, I guess, and what is what I'm no, saying. No, I, I agree. It's slightly more than just a, 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 a throwaway, you know, I woke up this morning sort of blues tune. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this one's nice as well. It's got a nice sound, and I think a nice, uh, a nice Graham vocal on it. Um, how well do you know Warm Me, Paul? Uh, had to remind myself of it this morning. <laughs> okay. And in fact... Thought it was Eric singing, so black mark there. So let's have a listen to it. Okay, now. so this is Warm Me uh, again under the, the, the fake name of, of Festival, uh, okay. released in '72. This one, yeah, it's a Stuart Goldman song, a contemporary of Waterfall. It says lead vocal by Eric, but I hear Graham. Yeah, see, I heard, I heard okay, Graham right. on this. I heard Graham in places, but I heard Eric. But let's have a yeah, listen. Yeah, possibly a mixture of the two. Let's let's give it a, a whirl.
I really like this one, Paul, do you? Uh, the, that middle bit's great. Sister Angelina <laughs> running through the trees with a nasty habit flying in the trees. They should, they should have cut that out and used it in another yeah, song. Yeah, definitely. I and I, 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 I like it. I like the, sort of the gentle use of the two chords with the, with the pedal uh, running on, on Graham's bass, just, just playing that same note. I think that's a lovely thing. Um, mm. And I think I hear a similar trick to what we were talking about earlier on with with Kevin and Lowell singing in unison. I think I think it's Graham and Eric singing together here, yes, as, as I right. think they do on Headline Hustler, both singing the yes. lead vocal at the same time. Um, but you get points, don't you, Paul, where you get Graham singing the lower melody and then Eric singing a higher harmony directly above yeah. him. And I, I know you've said in, in a couple of pods before that you you miss those kind of opportunities to hear that kind of straight harmony between the two of them. And this, yeah. is a, this is a great example of it, I think. That's right. Later on in their career, it was a shame that they, we didn't hear more harmonies from the two of them directly, but nice yeah. here, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, lovely little thing. Um, I, I can't say the same, though, Paul, for, <laughs> for O Solomon, which, which does seem to be Graham singing very much uh, on his own. Um, it's credited as Peter Cowup. Um, it's written, oh, co- co-written okay. between Cowup and, and, and Gouldman, released right. in June 71, uh, again, as, as a B-side, I would have assumed. It's, it, and it's got the same kind of flavour as those kind of silly, Caribbean-y um, kind Your of... Your favourites sp- like Crickets and Safari. Yeah. Well, it would I guess it would have been the B-side of one of those, I yes. should think. Yes, yes. Um, one for me to skip, but... Um, if you're allowed to say blacking up uh, anymore, Paul, there's definitely a case for for, for pointing the finger at um, at our unsuspecting vocalist here, um, <laughs> doing a very very poor Jamaican accent, uh, <laughs> way worse than anything on Treadlock Holiday. Um, you be the judge, folks. Jack of all trades and master of none. That's a story of Solomon Oh Solomon, where are you going? Oh Solomon, where you going to? Why is it man you never stop moving? What's the reason man you're doing what you do? heard enough it is quite oh. catchy isn't it yeah they're almost <laughs> cow up uh, things are really catchy i think and yeah i can't believe there was any harmful intent meant there you know um <laughs> it's just uh, and the black and white something. minstrels were still on tv at the time yeah it's something that you just you know obviously wouldn't do now but um i don't know what the story of solomon is do you know he's a biblical character isn't he is it is it actually based on his life? Although I think it's isn't it some guy who's going around fixing people's kitchen utensils, <laughs> and it's making his it, it, and all the work he's doing on the pots and pans are making his his hands go all horny. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just his name, Paul. And I'm not sure yeah. that there's a, a, a Bible story about a guy fixing pots and pans. Okay. But there, prob- well, there probably is. It's it's obscure and probably destined to remain that way, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But do you hear Graham singing the lead on that one? Oh, for sure, yeah. Although there's bits, I think, that Peter Cowup sings as well. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and that there's one more, and this is a complete mystery to me. I, I'm hoping that... Uh, any of our listeners can shed a little bit more light on this one. Back right. in 1977, and I'm sure this was on some kind of Casanats and Cats release, uh, on an album by a band called Fur, F-U-R-R, mm-hmm. the final track on the album sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's this. Uh, it's, it's a song called Going Down the Road. Have a listen to this, uh, folks, and... and Tell us who you think it sounds like. cousin there to when he comes actually isn't it totally it, uh, and, it uh, with a similar theme as well it's got that kind yeah. of gospel rock quite happy clappy in a way yeah it must be a leftover from the from the sessions must have been another of the songs graham came up with in new york surely definitely yeah. uh, and then uh, maybe maybe dave can uh, shed a bit more light on that one um i mean the fact it came out in 77 i mean crikey that's that's really uh yeah extemporaneous or whatever the word is uh, it must have been just sitting around I don't know why it ended up on on a, an album by Fur maybe it was just in you know in Super K's inimitable fashion they just uh, kind of used what was lying around sounds like it do you, do you know anything about the band Fur or the what's what the rest of the album is like uh, yeah I, I skimmed through the rest of the album and it's, it's not a bit like that somebody was kind enough to uh, upload this to our, our shared folder I can't eat, I can't sleep, feel my body. So you get the idea, it's got a slightly more kind of deep, deep purpley, really. Yeah. Completely yeah. different vocalist, different sound. Uh, it's in stereo and, uh, and, and going down the roads in mono. Um, That's hilarious. So, yeah, so it's it, what an imposter. And this escaped the compiler of Strawberry Bubblegum, didn't it? It's not on there, is it? No, no. So, yeah, so yeah, a curio. You... So I, I don't know anything about that one. It's just it, literally, I think, a tape that they found uh, on the studio floor. 
yeah, brilliant. Makes you wonder what else is still out there. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And and hopefully, you know, when we get our hands on on the next batch of tapes, Paul, which I'm extremely oh, yeah. excited about. Yes, uh, yes, we're hoping to make some more discoveries. But uh, perhaps we can leave everybody with with this little treat. Um, anyone who's got the strawberry bubblegum CD will, will will know this track already. But for me, Paul, kind of mentioning already the the, the fact that almost every single track that we've played today has been a mono recording. Uh, the only exception so far was was that lovely uh, "Warm Me," uh, which, which you know kind of had echoes of of, of waterfall, I suppose. Um, a lovely, lovely sort of delicate production. Here's what I think is is the missing link from Hot Legs and the Cats and Nats Cats sessions, and presumably the Sadaka sessions for Solitaire. I think this is the very final missing link, Paul, between that period and the band calling themselves 10CC. Released under the name Grumble in June 73, so right around the time of, of the debut 10CC album, we had the, the familiar track on the B-side, Pig Bin and Gone, uh, which we played on, on Pod 22, which has a very different sound, a more hot legsy sound, but this is very, very different indeed. Um, and harks forward to something that would be happening at the top of the charts that same year. CC sound is right there, isn't it, Paul? It's, it's there. If you notice there, they also appropriate the flat three chord from something like uh, Spirit in the Sky yep. to make it sound more modern, more rock. More glam rock. Than, yeah, than the original, because the Do Run Run was like early 60s, wasn't it? I yeah, think. 63, I think. Uh, the, 63. Crystal, the Crystals. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of, one of the, the Phil Spector classics. I mean, I love the original. Uh, of course, it, yeah. but you're right, all the elements are now in place. <laughs> couple of the vocals we've looked at today, Paul, you know, the, 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 the early ones from the 60s, he is singing that very, very high lead vocal, isn't he? But it's it's not quite the sort of scratchy Donna-style vocal that, that we're beginning to see here. Yeah, he's more strident now, isn't he? He's um, Yeah. Um, and and also the, the the Kevin vocals, or maybe Kevin and Graham behind, those low bass vocals, yep. they're almost cartoony now, aren't they? Yes. And they're about to be unleashed in Rubber Bullets, obviously, which is yep. what you were alluding to. Absolutely, yeah. It, I think this is the prototype for Rubber Bullets. And you've got some, if you listen in headphones, you hear kind of hard left and half right, a lovely kind of... It, I wondered if it was a synth actually playing this, this sort of. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. actually think it's a, a guitar with a strange effect on it. 
and right. it's almost got like a feedback loop going on. Very, very inventive sound, uh, which I think is kind of, a, it almost sounds like a, a bell ringing. It's, it's very, very nice. <laughs> Of course, you've got Pete and Eric's fabulous drum sound, you know, that very, very dry, close-miked mm. snare as, as, as tight as anything. Um, so it's like, yeah, all the raw materials are, are there. But do you, know, do you know the thing that really amused me about this one, Paul? And it only struck me uh, listening to it in the, in the car yesterday. Um, lyrically, I was totally expecting them to change the lyrics uh, you know, reverse the the gender, so that yeah. they'd be talking about Jill. Uh, as I can't remember who else did a version. Um, was it the Carpenters, where they actually changed the lyrics? Not sure, but I see what you're getting at. Yeah, so it was a gender reversal. Yeah, the boys are singing this as women. Well, maybe they just figured out that Lol sounds like a woman, so yeah. they didn't need to change it. Yeah, and doesn't. Doesn't Kevin allude to that in Space Cake, Paul? Or, or maybe it was something he said when we sat down with him. Ah, um, that they, they would do literally everything, all the instruments, all the vocals. And uh, he said, you know, we, we even did female backing vocals. And it may well have been this and, and others that he was talking about. Mm. But, mm. Well, that, probably a good job this wasn't a hit, isn't it? Even though it would have been under a pseudonym. Yeah, imagine him doing it on top of the pops. And that would have kind of deflected away from their... I mean, this is 1973, is it? It was released then, yeah. Oh, OK, yeah. I wonder whether it was recorded earlier. Yeah, I, I, I imagine it's one of the ones that they, they would have done in and around the recording of Solitaire, maybe? Yes, yeah. It, fascinating. Yeah, so we've... Gone down a right rabbit hole here, haven't we? Yeah, today, we've Paul? we've we've had a good rummage, haven't we, today? <laughs> and and we, we hope um we hope you've been entertained by it, folks. Uh, we've enjoyed just having a dig around and, and even though it's been slightly self-indulgent, uh, I suppose we feel it's our duty to kind of unearth every little kind of rusty box of goodies that we find and uh, and and here we are. So I I think we can more or less tick off the, the early strawberry box here, Paul, unless you feel a bit of Ramesses and Ankh coming on? Well, I think, yeah, maybe that's for another time, yeah. that whole kind of Egyptian side with Ankh and Mandala Band. Yes. Mandala Band. We should look at that in more detail. And and um, Ramesses, of course. And Sadaka, if we ever get to talk to Neil Sadaka himself. Oh, we that'd make, be so good. We're, we're, we're making overtures to his, to his people at the moment <laughs> um, and, and trying to impress upon him which we truly believe how important his work was, you know, in the evolution of 10CC. So no, absolutely, that would be a, a joy. We've, we've also had a couple of aborted chats with uh, the Manchester radio DJ Mike Sweeney, um, who uh, we've just been kind of conspired against, haven't we, with uh, with circumstances there. So that yes. that would be a really enjoyable chat, and a couple of other things kind of in the pipeline. So I suppose we still have carte, carte blanche, don't we, Paul? To to explore this this universe a bit more, um, we do. If if everyone's up for listening to a little bit more, then that's what we shall do. Yeah. 
Well, Paul, thanks for very much for your research on this one. And uh, um, thanks for, again for listening, everybody. We'll see you really soon. Cheers. My pleasure. See you soon, everyone. Bye. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening